continue a series encountering Jesus, and I want us to draw our attention to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says these words, that he is the author and the perfecter of what? Our faith. That means that you didn't author it, and you cannot perfect it. This is extremely important. So as we look at Jesus, I hope that we realize he is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. So when you see what we're about to see, an encounter with Jesus, with a woman at the well, I want you to do two things. One, put yourself in the shoes of the woman for a moment. And then two, put yourselves in the shoes of Jesus. Because he left this earth. How many know that? He left this earth and he left us here by his spirit to represent him wherever we go. And the Bible says that the spirit of God lives on the inside of us so that we could now take Jesus, every single one of us, outside these four walls and go impact the world for his goodness and his kingdom. And so if you open up your Bibles, if you have them, to John chapter 4. We're going to start with verse number 3. I'm going to read the entire passage. And then I just want to take a moment with you guys this morning and pull out some things inside there that I think will be helpful to all of us. When you're there, say amen. Amen. It says this in verse 3. He left Judea and he departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, he sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and he said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst and don't have to come here to draw water anymore. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are now with is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountains, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her these words, and I'll close with these final words. One woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. 
you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said these words, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will truly tell us of all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so in verse 3, we pick up and it says that he left Judea and he departed to Galilee, but he, you can put that on the screen, but he what? He needed to go through Samaria. I know some of you, such as Alejandra, need to go through New Day. That this is an important part of your journey with the Father. That this is an important part to get deposited something very, very healthy inside your soul and inside your spirit. And then may God, may God may possibly move you on. Others like Alejandra needed to come here, but they need now to go into a new season. And so there's something that we must trust about the Holy Spirit. That when he needs for us to go somewhere, that we go. And it says that he needed to go through... Samaria. Truly, I, I, I say this without being, I don't know what other town to put up there, and so I don't say this to belittle the town, but it's like saying we need to go through Inglewood. Like Jesus knew that I have to go to a place where most people would not go just to rest. But he knew I needed to go there. There was no but, ifs, ands with God. It was, I need to go there. This is where we're going through Samaria because most people who took this journey to Galilee always, almost without exception, passed the town of Samaria. That there is no reason, especially for a Jewish man or a Jewish person, to go through the town and stay at Samaria. And so he came to Samaria, which is called Sychar, and near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son. And now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, he was wearied from his journey. He sat by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And the woman of Samaria came to draw water. And listen to what Jesus said in verse number seven. You can put that on the screen. John 4, it should just be by itself, Eli. John 4, 7, there it goes. And a woman of Samaria came to what? Draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I want you to think for just a moment because we're trying to get a picture of who Jesus is because once we have Jesus revealed, then we now have a picture of our Father. And it's extremely important that we have the right perception of God. And so when you see Jesus you see the express image of the Father. And Jesus did not ask her this question, give me a drink, because he needed a drink from her. He was showing her something that whatever it is that you think you can offer God, he doesn't need it. And so he's showing us, I believe, in this passage, if you can just uh, kind of abstract the gospel from this passage, we're seeing that this relationship between us and God is no longer transactional. It's not you give me a drink and I will give you something. No, he wants us to realize whatever it is that you think you can give me, it, it, it matters nothing to me. But what I have to give you is everything. And we struggle at times to go, man, God's asking me to 
give this. And so we're, 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 we're unwilling to let go of something that we think is so important in our life. And I just want you to see Jesus for a moment. It's not about him wanting something from you. It's not about him wanting your money. It's not about him wanting your marriage. It's not about wanting your kids or wanting your business. It's about what will you receive from him. He's setting us up to realize that what we think we have to offer him pales into comparison what he is already willing and freely willing to give us. Now think about this woman for a moment. We already know she's had how many husbands? Five. And now the one she's with is what? Not her husband, but she's it's like, she's given up marriage. Like she's like, you know what? This isn't going to end well, so let's just enjoy our time together. Can you imagine in a smaller town what the talk was about? And this lady, I just want you to get a picture because I love about Jesus what he does. This lady has to go to the well every single day. And she may see somebody she doesn't know, but she's in the back of her mind always wondering, I'm sure they've heard about me or she knows people that are completely against what she's done you have wrecked homes you have wrecked men marriages have been failed and now you're with somebody and you're living with them can you imagine what she must live with for some reason or another she's been with five guys and now she's with one that's not her husband but she must live with such a level of guilt and shame and condemnation and that's why i want you to see when jesus says Will you give me a drink? He knows that you have nothing left to give. He knows there's at these breaking points of your life where you're like just riddled with fear and riddled with stress and riddled with pressure that when he says that question, it's really not about the drink that you can give him. He wants to just expose for a moment that what you think you can give, I know you don't have. And so I'm not expecting something from you guys. Jesus is not saying just try a little harder and push a little more and strive a little better and you'll make it and you'll be a great disciple of mine. No, he says, I have something that when I give to you, it will change everything. And so this transactional way of God has happened to us all. So God, if I go to church, what will you do for me? God, if I pray every single morning, what will you do for me? God, if I live my life faithfully, you will you, will you protect me from curses and bad things happening to me? And how do I know we're transactional? Because when we see a good family that is faithful in church, they've done what they need to do. They serve and they give and they do all those things. And something bad happens to one of their kids or to their family. What do we think? How could this happen to them? Why? Because they transacted so well. God, they gave you so much. And sometimes don't we feel the same way? God, I've served you. And God, I, I, every single Sunday I'm faithful to give my life for you. And God, and pastors say it all the time, God, I, I serve that person and that person. God, why would you allow this to happen to my family now that I'm in the ministry and serving you? Why? Because we believe at some level that, man, if I transact well with God, if I give him more and more and more and more, that somehow he's obligated to go, blessings and blessings and blessings and nothing bad will ever happen to you why because you've given me so much and i just want to break that for a moment that the god that we're serving is not transactional in fact he's given us everything when we could give him nothing are you following me and so there is a phrase now i know this to be true true you guys need something you need something you, i i, I was going to help you if you need it 
No, I, you were looking over here. Do you need anything over here? Okay, they, they think I'm not serious. Okay, sorry. Interruption. <laughs> Family moments. I thought you wanted something over here. Uh, anyways, let's get back to what we were saying, okay? So we have this phrase, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, you reap what you what? So tell me what's the difference between that and karma? And we live life with a karma mindset. And I just want to say this. I'm going to put it out there for right now because this is how we judge life. This is how we judge people. I want you to realize you have reaped what Jesus has sown. He's sown his life. He's sown it in perfection. He took upon everything that we deserved. And he says, now go ahead and enjoy the harvest of my perfect obedience. And now I get to enjoy a relationship that only Christ had with the Father. I get to enjoy the same relationship because I reaped what he sowed. Otherwise, what's mercy if we're all about karma? What's mercy if, if I do this bad thing, God's going to strike me down? If I do this good thing, man, God's going to bless me. And our language betrays us. Our language lets us know that we're believing. And I know there's even questions going through your mind. Well, what does Galatians 6, 7 mean? And what does it mean of sowing and reaping? And I understand that we have decisions and there are consequences to decisions. But I reap the mercy of God at any moment in my life because Jesus sowed it for me. Many, many people don't even receive mercy. They believe because I had this decision, I don't deserve it. This woman right here is reaping the consequences of how she lived and Jesus is about to now invade her consequences and her whole understanding of what this means with mercy. Like he is literally going to rock her world of going and he doesn't even address her lifestyle moving forward once she, he gives her the living water. Why? Because when you are not filled or receiving the little living water, somebody has to tell you how to live. And so what we do on Sundays is now we teach people how to be more moral, how to be nicer, how to be kinder, and how to be better. Yet... The cup on the outside looks so clean, but inside we're filled with anger and hurt and bitterness and hatred, but we're trying so hard to hold it in so that we don't expose ourselves and who we are. And Jesus is saying, I have something that does not change the outside first, but it does absolutely change the inside. And when it changes the inside, the outward thing is already taken care of. It's called living water. It's called everlasting life. It's called no longer searching for something to satisfy what only Jesus can satisfy. So we're not living by karma. We're not living by this merit and this demerit. We're living by what Jesus did for us. And he says, now come boldly to the throne of grace and receive what? Mercy. Mercy means this, that I get something from God completely opposite of what I deserved. Verse number eight, Eli, John chapter four, verse number eight, it says, for his disciples had gone away into the city and the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it? She was very surprised being a Jew, Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have what? No dealings with Samaritans. You know what jumped out to me as I was reading that is the holy has no dealings with what? The unholy. 
that the righteous Father, the, the holy, just, righteous Father, we see ourselves as unrighteous and unholy and unjust, how would he have any dealings with us? And yet he loved the world so much that he sent his son, where? Into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. For those that will just simply believe in the very thing that he said, I am going to invade the world, the holy God, the righteous God, the just God is going to in this world. And it says, we go, how could you have any dealings with us? Oh, because I'm about to change you and make you a brand new creation so that we can now relate together. So no longer is the holy God relating with unholy people. No, he says, you are my people and I will make you what? Holy. And now we can freely relate to God. And so it's no longer a question in our hearts. God, how can you love me? Don't ask that question anymore. God, I'm no longer deserving. No, you weren't. And yes, you were unlovely. But it's not about how could you love me anymore. It's about, God, you transformed me so you can love me. You've made me new. That the Jesus that you love so much lives on the inside of me. That there's no longer any separation between us and the Father. So the question is not, God, could you have dealings with us? It's, God, I enjoy now this relationship I can have with you. Jesus met mankind. The lowest of the low. I don't know if you remember the, the good Samaritan story, but he used the word Samaritan. Why? Because they truly believed. And he, he, he mocked their own people. He said a priest and a Levite passed along. And instead of Samaritan, they're like, that's the lowest of the low. And what I realized in this, a Samaritan woman, is that there is no degrees of lowness. We were all the lowest of the low. We were all the adulterer. We were all the sinner. We were all the fornicator. We were all the murderer. We were all those that we look at and we go, man, they're so evil, as though we weren't. As though we weren't a Samaritan, as we weren't the people that didn't deserve God's love and his mercy, as though we felt like maybe we grew up in the church, we had a little better life than those wicked people over there. No, he goes to the lowest of the low, which we all were. There is no degrees of how he sees the people. And so in Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward who? I, I want you to connect this. In that while we were what? Okay, he loved us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And so once we get saved and then we sin, what do we have a hard time receiving? His love. Why? Because we now believe, saved by grace, but somehow in some way his love is tied completely to whether or not I live this life the way that Jesus did. And when you try to live that way, man, it's so hard. Why? Because you're no longer living by the grace that is given to you by God and the strength that comes from the Spirit. You're living by self and saying, God, I'll do my best. I can try harder. God, I'm going to obey more. And he goes, it's not about that. It's about you dying to self and you raising to life in Christ Jesus so that the Spirit that I gave you, you now can live this life the way that I've called you to live. And it's the grace that's on you that will now allow you to live a life of holiness and righteousness and obedience. And so he demonstrates his own love toward all of us that why we were still he died for us and he knew you were a sinner that's why he had to die for us 
In John chapter 4, verse number 10, as we continue to go through this, I want to share a very, very important statement here. It says this, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would actually have asked back. He would have given you living water. Here's the statement I want to make. As Christian parents, our ultimate desire is what? That our kids would be what? Godly people, saved, right? But what we do is we do our best to conform them to God in Christianity. And they get out of line, we, should we keep them back and come on, come on, come on, come on. You can do this, you can do this. Uh, stop acting crazy, come on, come on. You can do this. And what we're doing is this is how a Christian looks. So we're, we're teaching them something that is very dangerous. We're teaching them this is how Christianity looks rather than trying to say, God, reveal Jesus to them because I know at the end of the day, it's not how well I parent them. It's only if they knew Jesus. Are you following me? Because kids can grow up through the system. Let's call this the system. They go up through the system until they're what? 18 years old. And then they have a little bit of freedom. And what do they do? They don't have a relationship with Christ. Why? Because it was all about conformity to my parents' religion, my parents' function. This is what we did on Sundays. Rather than being on your knees praying, Jesus, reveal yourself to them. And always pointing them back to Christ and pointing them back to Christ. Because most often myself included, we point him back to, this is how you act. This is how you be, and this is how you do, and it doesn't, don't, please, don't stop conforming. Don't, don't let your six-year-old not come to church. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the goal is not for them to look the part. The goal is for them to go, man, if they only knew the gift of God that said this, they would be in these seats just like we are. And so, Father, I pray for Summer, and I pray for Carly, that one day, you will reveal yourself to them in a personal way. So that's no longer about my striving and my conforming them into a certain way. And we try to do this with family members. We try to do this with coworkers or spouses is that we try to get them to be a certain way with God when Jesus hasn't been yet fully revealed to them. And all I ask is labor more on your knees at the revelation of who Christ is to them and you will find greater effectiveness than trying to conform them or force them. John 4.11 says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, for the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. You know, I think this is important to note that what we have in our life, the things that temporarily satisfy you, you know those things that have pleasure? Binge watching that show, your grandkids doing sports, uh, having fun on a weekend with your girlfriends or your guy friends. Uh, escaping to something that you want to do and enjoy doing, all those things are temporary. They do not satisfy and they scream one thing, I need more of that, and I need more of that. And then when we get more of it and we've exhausted the more of it, we go, that's not working anymore. 
And then we go on to another drink, and then another drink, and then another drink, and then another drink. And I watch this with believers. It's so sad at times to watch them go from drink to drink to drink and never feel satisfied. They never feel fulfilled. They never feel like, you know what? This is life. Today is life. Why? Because Jesus is alive and Jesus is alive on the inside of me and his spirit is alive on the inside of me. And so I don't need that and I don't need that and I don't need that. Why? Because the source of life comes from above. It doesn't come from one of these things that the world is offering. Those things are not bad. Those things are not something. But when you start to sway and you start to move over into a place where I need more of this to make me happy, we've drifted away from the true source of life and joy. In his presence is what? If you want joy, go to his presence. And if you don't get joy when you go there, there's a reason why he's saying, give me your drink. He's saying that there's something that you're drinking from. There's something that you think will satisfy you even more. And so the presence of God doesn't satisfy. Why? Give me your drink. Oh, no, no, I I can't give that up. Yeah, but you're going to go back to it and you're going to hope that it brings the pleasure you want. But it's just taking away from the joy that you can get from the presence of God. And I go back to that illustration with my little, my little daughter Carly when she was under the age of two and she had that juice box with that stupid little plastic glued on straw on the back. But she could not do the straw. And I kept on saying to her for, for a while as we walked around the house, just give it to me. And she never would because she didn't want me to take the juice box. But little did she know That if she wanted her thirst satisfied, she had to give it to her father first. And a half an hour later, what did I find at the staircase, at the bottom of the staircase? A juice box. That was undrinkable because the straw was somewhere missing. (laughs) And the same thing we do with God is we just go, no, I, and we know the promptings, we know the proddings, just kind of like that drink, you don't need it anymore in your life. And we're like... What drink? I don't see any drink, Lord. And, and then we wonder, man, I just don't feel God sometimes. And I'm just struggling to relate with God. Because there's probably a drink that you're getting from, a source of happiness that is just diluting the presence of God in your life. Look at verse 14. It says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, he will never thirst you know there's statements in the scriptures that you go huh i don't know if i believe that right i don't know how true that really is but but this is true this is what jesus our lord and our savior said it says but the water that i shall give him it will become it will become i i know there's a process at times is that there's this man i i filled with jesus when i was saved and i remember he said give me the drink of your sports Give me the drink of the girls. Give me the drink of uh, the, the pornography. Give me the drink of all the sport magazines that you're reading every day. He asked for those four drinks and says, give me the drink. And replace those with my presence. For 40 days, I remember a clear instruction from the Lord. He tricked me. Because <laughs> I never went back to those things the way that I did before. I didn't realize what he was doing, but he was now what? Allowing... 
the drink that I was partaking of him to what? Become in me a fountain of water. If him, Jesus, is not a fountain in your life, give him the drink and go and partake of him. And the more that you begin to partake of him, the more that you begin to go, it satisfies every single thing. I don't know how it works. I don't get it. But then life and circumstances become irrelevant to what? To what's happening on the inside of you. And now others, all you want them to do is to what? Taste and see what I just drink of. You've ever been to a good restaurant? Anybody ever been to a Cinnabon place? <laughs> the only words you say is, taste and see before I puke. Taste and see of the goodness of the Cinnabon. And this lady, what did she do? She went to her village and she said, come and see. This man told me everything about my life and he still offered me something. And so it says this, I don't want to forget this. Whoever what? Drinks. It's one thing to have church. But we are the bride of Christ. And we are to drink from our bridegroom. Not just think about him, but drink from him. Drinking from him means that you, you open it up. It means that you partake. And I wrote this, this is not a, a real definition, but I thought it was an interesting thought as I put here. To drink means to partake with delight. If you ever had a nice drink that you made that you go, man, that's going to be delicious, or you're just really, really thirsty and you get some water, it means to drink with delight. And I just want to encourage you guys to drink of Jesus with delight. And this is what it says, delight yourself in the, delight yourself. What does that mean? That's not a forced thing like, oh man, I delight myself today in you, Lord. Like, it's not that. It, it, it's becoming that. It's saying, Father, let me taste of you and drink of you. And so as I do, Father God, I thank you that my delight in you becomes more and more and more. And it says he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean he'll give you the life that you want. It just means that he is going to change something inside as you delight in him. And I know today as he offered that woman that he is offering all of us a new life, every single one of you that call on the name of Christ and say, man, you are my savior. He says, I have something to give you and it's called new life. And this new life comes from within. This new life comes and it becomes a, a flow of, of water on the inside of you. In Romans chapter 6, I don't think it's going to be on the screen, it says these words. I want you to get a picture of what this new life is because some of us are not drinking from this. We're still drinking from who we used to be. We're still drinking from, I'm the one with five husbands or had five husbands and now the one I'm with is not my husband. That's what we're still drinking from, that perspective. But I want you to drink from the perspective where your past is no more and now you're partaking of this new life that God has freely given to you. It says in Romans 6, 4, it says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we get to walk in newness of life. There's a new life. There's a new perspective. There's a new way of seeing life, a new way of believing that is not like your old life. You don't have to see yourself the way that you used to be and you no longer have to see people the way that you used to see them. He says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, meaning that we died with him, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his what? 
resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man will be or was. Our old man was crucified. That girl who had five husbands and now she has one that's not her husband, her old life is what? Crucified. It's crucified with Christ. And it says this, it says that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of what? Sin. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know your newness of life means you are no longer a slave to sin? Sin no longer can tell you what to do. It no longer can tell you how to act. It no longer can tempt you and say, you know what? You're really like this. It'll be really good for you. And you go, oh, I had no choice. No, you have no more enslavement to the power of sin. And you're no longer guilty of the penalty of sin. I'm free to live this new life that he offered me, this living water that becomes in me a fountain of life. And it says this, for he who has died has been freed from sin. And now if we died with Christ, we believe we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, he dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. John 4 verse 15, as we continue on, it says, the woman said to him, sir, give me. I love Jesus, how he whets our appetite. He wants us to say, Father, give it to me. I want some of what you have to offer. And it says this, that, he, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, how weird, isn't it? He had the moment, he had the, the opportunity to close the deal and get this girl saved. And what did he say? Go call your husband. How mean is that? He already knows the whole backstory. He's like, go call your husband. It's like, oh, Jesus, I long and I love you and I love you. Okay, go get your CDs, Justin. I remember when I was 17 years old and he told me to do that. Those CDs that you listen to, the ones that actually degrade women, talk about sex, talk about drugs. Yeah, those, yeah, those, go get them. Destroy them. Because those aren't coming along with us. And I love what he said here and the reason why he said, he said, come here and the woman answered to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said you have no husband for you have had five. It's funny how we go there. I had no husband. <laughs> like, all right, let's see how far I can get away with this prompting thing that the Holy Spirit's doing inside my heart. It's like, I have five CDs, Lord. Is that good? No, you have a hundred CDs, Justin. <laughs> and that one, that hundred and one one is in a drawer get that one too and it says the woman answered of course no husband he said you have five husbands the one you have is not your husband in that you spoke truly and the woman said these words i perceive that you are a prophet the reason why i wanted to bring this up is because jesus told her that for a reason and i know you heard me maybe say this before but if that woman walked away knowing that she was offered life eternally but she did not know that he knew about her past how would she feel Yep, if he, if he truly knew where I was, he wouldn't offer it to me. Please, church, listen to me. He says, my mercies are what? Every single day. Yeah, but Jesus, you don't know what I did last night. Did you hear what I said? My mercies are new every single day. You want me to tell you what you did last night? I know what you thought last night. I know you where you went in your mind last night. It wasn't about what you did. It was about the heart and the thoughts in your mind he says i know that and guess what my mercies are new 
And now we know that God knows us. God knows what we're going through. God knows what we're thinking about. And I just want to assure you that this thought process that I'm sharing with you doesn't lead you to go, oh, I can't wait till next Friday and sin some more. No, it goes, you know what? When you receive the life that only he can give and the source of joy, you start to realize, man, I don't even want that old life anymore. You start to go back and realize, you go back to that guy that you're living with and you're saying, Chuck, I'm sorry, Chuck, but we got to get married. Otherwise, you're out of here. Why? Because I just ran into a prophet. He knew who I was. He offered me eternal life, and I received it, and something happened differently on the inside of me, and we need to make this right. We don't need to make it right because I want to get that. No, I already got it. Therefore, now it is motivating to make my life in a certain direction. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, it says these words. I think this is going to be on the screen. Good job, Eli. For I will be what? To their... That's a hard, that's hard. He's not merciful to your goodness. He's not merciful to your greatness. He's not merciful to your coolness factor. He is merciful to one thing, your unrighteousness. And it says, and in this new covenant, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That, when, that means when Jesus now gave her that life and she received that drink and she left him, Jesus left and didn't go to the disciples. Hey, I just met a lady. You know, she had five husbands and the one she's with, not, no, no. I just met a lady who's been transformed by the power of God. And that lady is a new person and who she used to be is no longer part of our conversation. It's no longer part of our equation. Why? Because she's been transformed. I'll remember them no more, Justin. I don't know who's in this room and what you've done, but he remembers them no more. I know you remember them. I know you can actually detail for me what you did and how it felt and how you still feel about it, but I am telling you, he remembers them no more, and he says, I will give mercy to their unrighteousness. Receive his mercy, and it starts to become in us this living water of cleansing and cleansing and cleansing, and now I start to live a life without guilt, without shame, and without condemnation. Can you imagine what life is like without those three things? My goodness. Just this past week, and I won't, I, won't, I won't say the name, but freedom came to some people because they got off their chest something that they were completely shamed about. It was a drink. Jesus said, give me your drink. It could be your shame. It could be what you used to be like and who you used to be like or what you used to do. He says, give me that drink so I can toss that thing away and give you something brand new. Listen to these words. I know we're, we're, we're short on time. I just have... This passage, and then we're going to finish off John. Colossians chapter 2. Is that on the screen? There it is. And you being dead in your trespasses. Remember this. You were dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made what? Alive together with him. Jesus is what? Alive. Jesus is full of righteousness. Jesus is full of joy. Jesus is full of peace. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is an overcomer. Jesus is more than a conqueror. And we've been made alive together with Jesus who reigns. Amen. So every day when I wake up, I've been made alive with Jesus, the one who reigns, the one who rules, and the one who is more than a conqueror. And it says this, and he has forgiven how many? All. Guys, God is giving all of us permission to believe that. To believe that every single day I've been made alive in Jesus Christ and all my sins, all my past, all my trespasses have been what? Forgiven. 
And this is what happens when he forgives. This is extremely important. He wipes away the handwriting of requirements that were against us, that were contrary to, me, to us. That means there was a law that accuses us. I talked to you about it last week. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That law says guilty, guilty. They did this and they did this. The accuser, the brethren, comes and says, Justin, but you're this. And Justin, you thought this. And Justin, God probably thinks about this. And Justin, this and this and this. And he accuses me. And all I can remind him is saying, those requirements that are against me that you're talking to me about, they have been wiped out. And he has taken it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross and he disarmed. Who did he disarm? The accuser of the brethren. So all he can do is whisper and lie to you. That's all he can do. But he's been what? Disarmed. His accusations have no right in the throne room of God. And it says this, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Glory to God. I remind the devil all the time, oh, what you're saying to me, oh, it is so true, but it is so false because it's true about who I used to be and not who I am. John chapter 4, we'll finish off with this. Verse 20. I really wanted to make this statement with this. Hold on, you guys can sit here. Just stay here real quick. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, you can keep on going, Jackson. It's okay. <laughs> oh, stop. Just stop. Okay, go. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. I just want to make sure you guys hear this part. Our father worshipped on this mountain, and the Jews said in Jerusalem that the place that, uh, that we are to worship is Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you are neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what, or we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, here it is. But the hour is coming... And now is when true worshipers will what? Not a trick question, but also don't lie. Who's a true worshiper in here? Raise your hand. <laughs> wow. Think about this. Ryan, stand up. All right, stay right there. That was crazy. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to play out like that, actually. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. That actually helps my message. Is we think that's a true, okay, that's, the, that's where God wants us, is to be a true worshiper here. And we're here. How do you feel when you're supposed to be there and you're here? Yeah, you feel like, I'm just not there. Lord, I'm so sorry. And so, how do you get there? Oh, please hear me. I mean, I, I, I could give you a sermon on 10 steps, how to become a true worshiper in spirit and truth. And I could try to make sure that you know what are the steps, what is the ladder to get there. And I'm telling you, there's a cross. That cross is better than a ladder, and that cross has caused us, by the word of God, by the truth, to be born again by the truth. And who dwells in us? The Spirit of God, and He has sealed us by the what? Holy Spirit, our redemption. And so think about this. Maybe one of you, two of you, raised your hands because you're unsure if you're worshiping in spirit and truth. And I'm telling you, this is not an obedience passage as much as it's foretelling 
that the only people who can worship me are those who have been born of the Spirit of God, who have been by the seed of the truth of the Word of God, born again. And so I am telling you, every single one of you that know and bear the name of Christ are true worshipers, and do it freely. And don't say, oh, I don't know if I'm worshiping in the Spirit or in truth, and maybe I should think more about the Word of God, or maybe I should be more in the Spirit and crazy like Baal, or just joking. And so we, we, we put this standard or this, mo- this mold of what that means. And I'm telling you this, you have been born by the Spirit of God, the seed of truth in James chapter 1, verse 18, and 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 21, both declare that we've been born again by the seed of truth, an incorruptible seed. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And now the Spirit of God dwells in us, and I am telling you, you are true worshipers of God. And you don't just need a building to worship God. You can worship Him in your car. You can worship Him wherever you are, because that's who you are. And if you think you have to get there to become one, have fun. Because this church is not going to give you a step on how to get there. It's going to tell you that Jesus took the step. And he hung on a cross and he was raised again so that you could go, oh my gosh, I can freely worship God because his mercies are brand new. His grace is abounding and it's not about me. It's all about the perfect lamb of God. So would you stand with me if you're a true worshiper of God in this place? I don't say that lightly. June, would you come up here please? Folks, what I just said to you can change your life. And now you can worship God freely wherever you are to know I'm worshiping Him in spirit and truth. Why? Because I was born by His Spirit and I was born by the seed of truth that lives on the inside of me. And Father, I thank You that You said You were seeking true worshipers and You sought after